Okay, so we're back after a short break. My name is Nick Alamonos. I'm the author of the Anya series. And uh, I'm here with, uh, who am I here with? You're here with Heather. Heather, yes, I forgot. I forgot <laughs> your. Today. I forgot your name briefly. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so yes, so we have been reading some books. Um, I just finished a book uh, recommended to me by Heather. It is Graceling by mm-hmm. Kristen Kashore. Yes, and we I have read some. That book a long time ago. <laughs> and yes, again recently. Yes, and I read a long time ago The Man in the High Castle, which uh, Heather read. Um, yes. Not because I recommended it, but because you like uh, Philip K. Dick, Philip right? K. Dick. It's one of your favorite authors. Yeah, and it was just time to read it. So It was time, to, yes. Had, yeah, my husband wants to watch the show. We started watching it, and I was like, ah, I would just really rather read the book first. And so I, I recommend that, yeah. Okay, so you want yeah. to talk about Graceling first? Yeah, let's talk about Graceling first. Should I, um, sh- should I maybe start to refresh your uh, memory? Uh, I don't think I need a memory refresher. I okay. Read it, I read it in January. Again oh, okay. Okay. Our fourth book had come out, and I reread the whole series. Oh God. So oh God. It is. Yeah, you, I reread the whole series. So you reread? But see, I I almost never reread anything. Like the only thing I ever reread was I think Game of Thrones or not Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. I read Lord of the Rings right. twice. Um, but that's yeah, a, that's rare like, for me. Yeah, I've read The Hobbit multiple times, but I've never read The Lord of the Rings multiple times. But this is actually one of the first series that I actually reread and, you know, kind of got through because I just, there's just a lot going on in the scope of her books. Mm-hmm. And since it had been a little bit more than 10 years since she wrote the last book in the Graceling series, it was like, well. You Wait, know, 10 years? It took her 10 that. years? Yes. Oh, okay. That makes me feel yeah. good. That makes me feel good because it takes me so long to actually release a new book that I feel like, oh man, you know, like I got to get going here. So. Yeah, she wrote three books in the Graceling series, and then she wrote um, a young adult science fiction book that was more of a cerebral science fiction book about okay. um, alternate dimensions and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't okay. really care for it myself. I did read the whole thing just because I was interested in seeing where she took it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of a quirky little book. It didn't really appeal to me. I thought the main character was kind of a boring character. Right. Um, and more things were happening to her than she was. Okay. You know, so, but it was, it was okay. Um, but then when I found out she was coming out with another Graceling book, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to have to brush up on everything before I read this. So that's what I did. So you're a big fan of her writing? Um, in general, I really preferred the first two books in the Graceling series okay. as opposed to the last two books. Um, Fire was a pre- actually a prequel um and the character and the tone and everything about it is a little bit different uh and it definitely deals with some things that pop up in Graceling okay um but it also deals with things that will happen further on in this series as well so uh you know I enjoyed the third book a whole lot when it came in when it came out but on the reread I was kind of like well it's okay but you know she kind of I don't th- the series is really good, but as far as the stories go, it's really not co- a co- cohesive flowing story. Okay. You know, she comes back and forth, and she goes to different places pretty quick. 
So, um, you know, she's never settled in one place for very long or one idea or anything in any of her books. They're all really interesting, but, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Fire was probably the most mature book out of all four of them that I read, and it was... So you so you would consider this young adult? Is it a young adult? Because I'm not sure these days because there are some steamy moments... Um, and yeah, it's... this is absolutely young adult. There are some steamy situations in some young adult. And, yeah, and that's what confuses me. I mean, technically, mm-hmm. adult could could include that, but I often wonder what exactly you know defines a young adult book. I'm I'm that's I'm I'm still a little confused by that, but uh... Uh, well, I mean, in general, I would, you know, it's the first, the primary thing it has going for it is that their protagonists and or the antagonists are probably teenagers, okay, uh, or you know, or young adults, age of twenty, twenty-one, uh-huh. maybe. I guess as long as it doesn't have any grotesquely, you know. Uh, rated R, rated X moments. I, I think I, I guess it could be considered young adult. It, it seems to me, you know. Yeah, so, and I've definitely never like read a young adult book that really pushed things to like the max on that. You know, yeah. I mean, and a lot of them do deal with mature subjects like a teenager sexuality, you know, and understanding themselves and who they might be attracted to, mm-hmm. or you know, how to develop a healthy relationship. Um, you know, sometimes these books are kind of more of like a guidepost, you know, mm-hmm. teenagers to, for behaviors or, you know, mores or attitudes that are helpful um, rather than things that tear other people down. Right. Uh, they have very much. So they have um, good they have spirit. good messages in them. Would you yeah, say? Yeah, sure. Okay. okay. All righty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're usually just like good positive stories about young people who can think outside the box, um, solve their problems, you know, become mature adults and find themselves in whatever adventure they've been put into, you know, and, and most commonly it's going to be like a more adventurous book. Um, but books like John Green's books who are also, you know, pointed towards the young adult demographic, though, definitely um, solicit a different kind of readership, which yeah. is not my wheelhouse. <laughs> but they're more like, you know, the Nicholas Sparks of young adult books. And right. they want to yank your emotion chain sure. on purpose. And, you know, I'd rather get swept up in the emotion from the adventure than just yeah. be led along on it. You should I, be sad for this I, character yeah. because, you know. I, I, I agree with that. I, I consider that a, like a cheap trick. You know, it is a and uh, and I, I brought that up when um, so my daughter's always trying to get me to watch anime and some of the shows like um, the first episode, like the I don't know if you saw the Promise Neverland, where mm-hmm. it's just the first episode is like, you know, it's about well, spoiler alert for this if you're watching that, but the first episode. Uh, it's about an orphanage and these kids, you know, they're waiting for the day that they get adopted. But then it turns out that the, that the day they get adopted, they're not actually being adopted. They're going to a place to get slaughtered so they can be eaten by monsters. And it's so, it's so like, and I'm not saying you can't tell a story like that. Like, that's fine. I'm, you can tell any kind of story, but it's just so over the top horrific <laughs> 
that I mean, it, it, instead of making me feel sympathy, it just made me feel like, ugh, this is just, it, it was just a turn off. It just turned me off. You know? Well, a lot, yeah, I mean, a lot of anime and a lot of manga are just kind of uncanny valley material anyway. I don't, um, you know, when I was younger, I, and I mean, kids, <laughs> kids today don't mm-hmm. realize that. You know, God, we had to go to the video store with our parents just to get them to buy us a. Oh yeah, no, of course, yeah. And they totally have marketed anime to children and just unabashedly. (laughs) And sometimes anime's got a lot of questionable stuff going on. Sure. um, I certainly like. Plenty of it myself. Um, more of an old school. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bashing anime. If, if yeah, I bash, yeah. if we bash anime, we're gonna lose all our followers or the, the two followers oh, no, we have. No. So we're not doing yeah, that. No. Uh, but but, but yeah. all, all I'm saying, just from a strictly from a storytelling perspective, I feel that more subtlety makes me feel more emotion. You know, because if you push it too far, then the emotion I get as opposed to, to a sense of, of sympathy is, is I feel uh, like a sense of disgust or horror, you know, and that doesn't, yeah. that does you know, it was really the way it was done. It wasn't so much that what the subject matter was, it was just the way it was portrayed. We're just, they're just like the kids just find a pile of dead bodies. And it's just like, it was just so over the top. See how you're laughing. That's not the right reaction, right? It should be, oh, that's so sad. But you're laughing because it's so over the top. It's uncomfortable. Well, yeah, it's over the top. Yeah, it's, it's and it it's makes you feel like squirm. And if that was the, now, if that's what the, let's say, author wanted to you to feel, that's fine. But that, but I got the sense that what the, what the person was trying to do, or the, the creators of the show, was trying to make you feel like, oh, that's so sad, these poor kids. But, I didn't feel that way. I, you know, and I just felt like, and then, you know, my nephews are like, oh, you can't handle this, you know, tragedy. Like, no, I've read really tragic stories, but it's the way it's presented. You know, it's not, sure. it's not so much what it's about. It's how it's presented, you know, and it's how it's presented. Right. And that's exactly, how, you know, why. I, I, I mean, there's a similar plot in one of my favorite books, actually, I've, I've ever read. One of the best books I've ever read is uh, Never Let Me Go. And it actually okay. has a somewhat similar story to to what I just described. And um, But it's done so well, so well. It's hauntingly emotional. It, it makes you feel, it's it's so moving. I hope I never wrote that book for you. But it's so moving. And... Um, <laughs> And, uh, and it's just, uh, it just, it, it can be done. It could, you could definitely have a story about orphans getting butchered for monster appetites and, and get, and make a great book out of it or a great show out of it. I just, just the way it's done. So anyway, maybe right. we, maybe yeah, we should talk about Graceling. Really oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Graceling is a young adult fantasy book. Um, and it is based in... Oh, God. <laughs> Here I'm all like, man, I reread this, and I totally remember it. Um, anyway, she lives in a kingdom that's in the middle of seven under other kingdoms, and uh, Katza, the main protagonist, is a great thing. She's uh, a, a special type of, well, special type of person. She is uh, an individual who, because she was born with two different colored eyes, uh, she has a talent 
or um she's a mutant she's one of the X-Men. She, yeah she's like a mutant she's, yeah okay. she's graced with you know uh, uh an, an ability that may or may not be useful to somebody somewhere um and Katza ends up being pretty useful to her she's good at, she's good at killing people she's good at yeah, killing King people Randa. yeah and yeah. uh she walks around and she kills people yeah. when King Randa has decided that he has had enough of their impunities and But she's not a bad person. A, she's not a bad person. She's a sympathetic she's person. She's not a bad person. Yeah. She's just she's got a lot of constraints. Her life is pretty strictly controlled for her. Uh she doesn't really have any freedom. Um, you know, and her friends are very few and far between because Katza has never been loved by anybody. <laughs> so um She's very angry, a very angry teenager. I can totally relate to yeah. it, you know. I, <laughs> I, 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 I feel, I feel that in your description, you're making it sound better than than I would make the book sound if I was describing it. <laughs> well, I was partial to the the characters. I mean, I yeah. loved Katza, and then you know later on, her best friend, you know, comes into the book, and I absolutely loved him too. And uh, it got to the yeah. end and. The really interesting thing about this book is that the villain is just kind of a specter in the background. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really impact anything until until you're really really far along in the book. And I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but we're gonna yeah, have a, we're gonna have a spoiler section. Like we'll talk yeah, we'll have a spoiler section. Yeah. I feel like that was a really nice thing about that book. I actually liked that point, and I know you didn't necessarily like it. You thought the villain was was kind of weak um i have i have i have a lot of complaints uh but not not to say that i like disliked it i thought it was a good story uh i think that the characters were likable which is a, a big plus especially after reading cersei i needed some good likable <laughs> characters so so you know, I could, yeah i could root for cats uh, i could root for poe which was her male friends, let's say. Um, so I can root for all of them. Um, and then there's a, a little girl that comes into the story whose name is Bitter Blue, which I really love that name, by the way, Bitter Blue. Uh, I'm, I'm jealous because that, that's such a good name. Um, Bitter Blue is a good name. The, the, the best name named too. character. I, 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 felt like the, I felt like the book didn't have good named characters. Cats, uh, Poe, it's like, eh. You know, but Bitter Blue, oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> So and then yeah, she names so she names one of her books. Uh, one of her books is called Bitter Blue. I'm like, that's a good decision because that's such a, such a good mm -hmm. name. I was gonna say Poe comes up with comes in with some ridiculous name like right, right, <laughs> like Legolas Greenleaf. He's yeah, like, Greenly Greenleaf Green Pants or something. Sure, sure. <laughs> He's like, just call me Poe, and I was like, oh, hmm, I love you already, Poe. No, that's that is that is good because a lot of times I'll be reading and I'm like, they really gonna call this person every time by this long name like 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 <laughs> people naturally use nicknames if, if you know if a name is too long you know like like in like the main the one of the main characters in, in my book uh the princess of Anya is called Democron. and but i realized quickly that you know you can, you know you're not going to be called someone Democron all the time hey Democron, do you want to have breakfast you know it's too long so he needs a nickname so i gave him a nickname you know dimmy you know 
it just it's it's natural. It's natural to give people with long names uh, nicknames. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. So I liked that. <laughs> I thought it was good. Huh. But but nice. but I feel yeah, like we can't talk much more about this story without spoilers. Um, you really can't. So so I so I want to say I do recommend it. It is a little bit on the simple side. It's very it's very modern. Mm-hmm. It's a very modern story. So mm-hmm. if you know, I I think for for readers who don't want to read too much uh, poetic prose or archaic writing it's it's very simple it's very direct it's very quick to read yeah. it flows very well i like that um the story's fairly interesting it's not the most brilliant plot ever uh but it's it's a it's a good plot serviceable so yeah um, it's grounded and then you know it 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 becomes even more in the you know this is really just like an introduction to the world that she has started to build. And um, it does, you know, change as the books expand because she has really taken, um, you know, Bitter Blue in particular into some interesting places. So, sure. you know, the next book that comes out, I'll still definitely read it because I still want to know what's going on, you know, with these characters and find right. out how they reconcile the things <laughs> that are going on because it's not over yet, but... Um, Okay, anyway, so I, okay, I, so you, I give it four stars. I four believe. stars. Okay, that's that's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can't give it that high of a rating, but um, but let me uh, l- l- let's move into the spoiler uh, content if you're ready for that. Oh yeah, the spoiler content. So for all you millions of people listening, uh, stop now if you don't want Graceling spoiled for you. Okay. Um, so I, I think I'm going to start with my complaints. Um, and again, don't take this too personally, but um, so I, I do. I did feel the writing was very simple. Now, it does seem to me that that is the modern trend uh, that everyone mm-hmm. is leaning toward. Uh, you know, almost all the the you know more recently published books are just there's a much less of a focus on the quality of writing. And it's more just direct, you know, direct. So, so I guess for me to complain about that, I think that's more of a of a me thing. I think a lot of people don't care, but for people that do appreciate things, you know, books like Cold Mountain and uh, even the way like Tolkien used yeah. to write. If you love to read the classics and you love you know beautifully constructed sentences, mm-hmm. you're probably not gonna you're not gonna stop in the middle of this book and go, "Wow, that was beautiful!" Like yeah. you're not gonna have those moments. Um, right. It's written to be readable. Um, now you said that the book flowed well. I, I do agree that it flows well, but I also think that there was a lot of fluff for me. And what I mean by that is, it just mm-hmm. seemed like the story could have been a lot shorter. Like I think, like she could have easily cut out because because it, it's almost a five hundred page book. So it's a pretty long book, but not that much actually happens. Not, not, not that much actual story happens. So I feel like that same story could have been told in much less time. And I don't think you'd lose too much. Like I think if you took out 100 pages or so, I think the story would still make perfect sense. You know? Um, hmm, that's interesting, yeah, because I didn't really feel that a lot of it was fluff. But then again, uh, you know, sometimes I'm okay with fluff. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it's not a very dense, yeah. it's not a very dense yeah. story. You know, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. more like, 
uh, cotton candy or popcorn or something. You know, uh, it's it's just it's it goes down light, um, but not too much because you look at another book where that's five hundred pages. And we we're talking about this the other day. Like you look at like I don't know Terry Pratchett, let's say, and this might mm -hmm. be a symptom too of like older books where you look at like what you know how many things happen in Terry Pratchett's books. So I can see where you you'd get some fluff out of Graceling, but I think that's probably a bit more of a problem in the second book than it is in the first one. Um, but okay, you know, um, it was a good bit of escapism. It, there's there's a little bit of you know. Um, the politics going in there for you know younger readers and stuff like that it doesn't really touch too hard on some of the issues and stuff like that and yeah. you know um the fact that katza is part of a, a spy council uh and that they are interested in um, finding out what is amiss across these seven kingdoms that they're a part of. Sure. Uh, it's not... Like but it takes a while. To, it takes such a long yeah. time to get to that part. You mm -hmm. know? It's, yeah, it so, does. So the, yeah. the other thing, because I do have more complaints, but again, this is just my thoughts. Um, so I thought a lot of it was predictable. Uh, she does meet, like, like in the first chapter... She meets that she's like one of the best fighters. No one can, no one can touch her. She's such a good fighter. Mm -hmm. But then she meets a guy that actually, you know, can can keep up with her, and his name is Poe. And then, and he's like the nicest guy. He's like, he's like super nice, you know. And um, <laughs> he's almost too nice. Like he's very understanding, yeah. very considerate. He just seemed like perfect boyfriend material, you know, or husband <laughs> husband material. And of course, they're you know they're doing their little practice fights. You know, later on they 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 they're become sparring partners. And I knew right from the beginning that they were going to end up you know romantically involved. That oh, was sure, not sure. a surprise to me at all. And uh, you know, and I I don't know I, I don't read a lot of uh, romantic stories, so maybe that's just par for the course. But uh, um, well, but but it was obvious. You can't tell me that you did not know they were going to oh, get no, together. I yeah, I knew you knew immediately. immediately. This was gonna be good. He was too different. He was too level-headed yeah. and too sweet and too, you know. And again, he's he's like the nicest person ever. Like I yeah. can't compete with that. Like, that, like he's so nice. Like jeez, man, what a nice, understanding man. Yeah, this he's is. the first person <laughs> yeah. that ever treated her like a real human being and. Yeah. her existence her short existence so yeah. and i think there is something to be said about that like you know that i guess the cliche quote is if you don't get love from those closest to you you learn to lick it off knives you know and oh, i think that's, that's kind nice. of like, I like Katza. That. you know what i mean she's useful that wasn't uh, a good line actually in the, in the book yeah <laughs> <laughs> like yeah you learn to yeah, it's, it is a really good, and I, I kind of keep that on, in my mind, too, because, I mean, not that I, you know, want to get weird about stuff, but... No, no, I, know, I understand, I this, so there's a little bit yeah, of a, like, like I, a contrast there. I can relate there. to Katza just for those things, sure, those, sure. those reasons, you know, and I mean... <laughs> yeah, like, like, like I think if you're someone who likes romantic stories, and I'm not opposed to romantic stories... I just don't, yeah. I, I just, it, it felt to me very much like that was the main focus. Now, I think later on that changes, but it, for the first 300 pages or so, it seems to me that it's primarily a romance. 
Uh, yeah, and Tasha then, has to have that breakthrough in order to really develop her sense of right from wrong. She's been somebody's puppet for so long, you know. So I just kind of <clears throat> yeah, but but I yeah. but I felt that she had a moral compass even before she met because she created the council. You know, yeah, to, you're right. yeah, so you're it's not right. like she's like, oh, you have to teach me to be a good person. I think she was always a good, it seemed to me that she was always a good person. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right. But I think that he kind of gave her a way to slow down and kind of think about things a little bit differently. You know, yeah, she's I can used to having to race and scramble and she's always trying to drive, you know, uh, what she wants, like home right now to everybody, and she's very insistent on it. And I don't know. I think he provided that kind of, you know, <laughs> she needed to dull that knife she was licking off right, a little right. bit. And I think that Post applied that. But uh, you know, at the same time, I didn't. I guess I didn't really read it as mostly a romance. There just so, so many yeah, chapters that were just devoted to, oh, you know, they're they're sparring and you know he's throwing they're throwing each other <laughs> on the floor and I'm like, come on guys, get a room already. I mean, you yeah. know, <laughs> I knew that was gonna happen, but uh, you know, she was so and she yeah. was so there was like a, like a lot of cliches like she was very resistant to her feelings, you know, you know, it's like obviously she was falling in love with him but she didn't want to admit it to herself, yeah. but the the reader knows but she doesn't know. Certain cliches are unavoidable, so, you know. They are unavoidable. Yeah. It's just like, and I have read some romance books and some books that were totally based around, you know, relationships, and I prefer books that are about flawed relationships, you know, and uh, people that have, you know, I don't want the bulk of my book, I don't want the main objective of that book to be people successful in love or right. whatever. You know, that like seems that, like well, I don't know. That it, seems like a lot. Like it felt to me like maybe I don't know. Eighty percent of it was about that, but but uh, there's nothing that wrong with that. But that, that's how I felt. Maybe because I'm yeah. a guy and I don't read a lot of a lot of romance books. I don't know, but it, it could be my perspective. No, I don't read a lot of romance books either, and that's just because it's just not my thing. You don't have a stack of Harlequin okay. novels somewhere hidden away. <laughs> I do not have it. <laughs> well, I mean, I have worked romance conventions before with uh, local authors and things like that, and I, oh. I do have signed copies of their books and oh, stuff okay. like that, just because it was like, it's sure. a cool thing to, you know, just kind of have. Excuses, sure. Sometimes I read their books, and <laughs> there is a difference between some romance authors and some other romance authors. You right. know, there's like, like any you know, type of genre. Right, are right. It can be done well, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah like I think you could probably classify Outlander as a series that's a, a love story, basically. Okay. Um, and that's its main, you know, and a lot of people are probably going to disagree with me um, about that because they have read the series and I have not. But it seems like every time you're hearing about the series, it's about Claire and Jamie, Claire and Jamie, Claire right, and Jamie. Right, and right. I know that the author is <clears throat> very well educated on the history of her you know, ancestors and her home and she has, you know, an incredible intelligence in writing about these things. So I know that they're more than romance books, but, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're still not my kind of book. I don't want the book to be all about the relationship, but there is something when you're reading, um, you know, a book for me, like Graceling where the relationship and in particular for Katza, her first relationship, the first boy she's 
fallen in love with, you know, there are echoes of that in my own life. So mm-hmm. I'm probably a little bit more taken with it simply because I do have that like emotional response to the similarities. So your first relationship was with a perfect human being. That's, that's really, <laughs> well, you he are, wasn't perfect. you I are mean, lucky. Paul po- is perfect though. He is a perfect person. I Who? think. Poe, I think he's like the nicest guy I've ever read about in literature, I I think. He really is a very nice guy. He's too nice. I mean, Poe and Katz, again, show up throughout the series, and they have their shared issues. Okay, all right. You know, stuff like that. So, so, yeah. I I have more complaints. I just just want to get through them so we can talk about (laughs) PKD. So I felt her world building was a little weak. Um it just felt like it was all kind of generic. Like it was just a generic, you know, medieval times type world. I, I really didn't get anything special or different or quirky or just, it, it just felt very just, you know, generic setting, mm-hmm. generic fantasy setting. Um, yeah, I don't disagree. And even the map, like when you look at the map and the map is just really looks like it was drawn by a kid and and then the cities are named like you know Randall City like it was just named after the kings and and I you know and I'm just thinking you know when I'm thinking about Tolkien and how he came up with five names for every single person and and all their genealogy I'm like really she couldn't come up with a a name for the cities and the kings it just felt a little lazy to me and maybe just that just wasn't her focus but you know when I read fantasy I, I just like a little more focus on the world building um and then finally um so finally and i'm looking at my notes and under pros i have strong villain and then then under cons i have strong villain okay or weak villain and and i and i I explain why because when they meet this character he had an awesome power right the villain who, who he has a really awesome power he reminds me a little bit of uh, Kilgrave from Jessica Jones. Have you ever seen Kilgrave, uh, uh, Jessica Jones? I, yeah, I've seen a few episodes of Jessica Jones, but as the not as you know, I'm not really a Marvel fan. Oh, so, okay. um, we can't be friends yeah, anymore. I mean, I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love I love X Men, but um, I'm not really as much of a okay, like, okay. fan. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not saying it, I don't hate it or anything. I've watched plenty of the movies and stuff like that, but there's a point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Okay. <laughs> so, um, well, but... Kil- well, Kilgrave had this power, I don't know if you remember, where anything he tells you to do, you you have to do it. So if he says, go kill yourself, you're going to just go kill yourself. Uh, and okay. so, although, so, but this, so this villain um, in the book, I forgot his name, but anything he's... Like. What was yeah, it? Lack. Lack. Yeah, Lack. See, the names aren't great. Except for Bitterblue. Bitterblue's fantastic. But, um, yeah, so Lack, he has this ability that anything he says, you believe to be true. And I'm like, that mm-hmm. is a great ability, especially if you're a king, which he was this evil king. And so, of course, he can do all these terrible things, and all of his followers believe whatever he says. And I know I'm explaining as if you haven't read it. And and I'm thinking, this is such a cool power. This is so cool. And then, but, and as I was reading it though, I was like, okay, I think he shows up on page like 350 
and the book only has 100 pages left. And so yeah. I'm thinking to myself, okay, this, this, <laughs> this villain is going to be kind of left over for the next book. And then I wrote mm. on my notes, like, book doesn't end. Because I like books that end. That, that was one of my yes. biggest complaints with Game of Thrones, is that it just doesn't end. It just kind of rolls over to the next book, you know? Yes. And yes. so yes. that was my there. complaint. I said, I like books. I don't mind sequels. I'm fine with sequels. But I like books to have some kind of conclusion, especially if I read 500 pages. So I just kind of assumed that they were not going to be able to defeat this villain in 100 pages. Well, it turns out that she does and she does it in a kind of a dumb way i'm sorry to say but she's just you know she's in a room with him and he's gonna reveal poe's secret her uh because her her lover whatever has the ability to read people's minds and this mm -hmm. is a big secret that he doesn't want anybody to know because then people could take advantage of that power and you know, and as soon as he goes to reveal the secret, she whips out her dagger and kills him. Just throws a dagger in his mouth. And I'm like, damn, that was like, that's all? I mean, I was like, I don't know. I, I just, it just seemed too simple. He, he, like, it, we, we, he was introduced very late, and, he, and then he was taken down very easily and very simply. So that's, that's my complaint, especially when it's such a great idea for a villain. I would have loved to see more of him. So oh, yeah, and that's, you know, and, and I mean, again, with spoilers, it's just like, he's definitely a presence in the rest of the series. I mean, there are, uh, she does deal with the fallout, uh, she, you know, um, and she goes into his past, uh, and she shows you how he manages to become King Lex right, right. and how these things occur. And um, so it honestly has kind of, he's kind of got an interesting background, but he's also a little bit like Hannibal Lecter, definitely there to propel the story forward in a particular manner. But, you know, he's like the Hannibal from Red Dragon. He's just kind of there every once in a while to drop a hint and then move on, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, I just think it would have been better if he was introduced earlier because then we would have that, that tension where we'd be worried about, oh, this guy is so dangerous, he's so powerful, how are we going to defeat him? I just think introducing a villain earlier would be yeah. better. I mean, who am I to tell Kishore anything, you know? <laughs> but she's, I mean, the book got 400,000 Goodreads reviews, 400,000. And most That's of them, and most of them very positive. So sure, maybe she can kind of rectify the fact that she got rid of him so quickly by having a prequel. But, and I think that was probably a good decision. But I think that books need to stand on their own. That's, oh, yeah. that's my definitely. assessment. Yeah, at the end of the book, I was like, well, there's definitely going to be a sequel to this and I'm in, you know. So, I mean, I knew that. Um, so it didn't necessarily, you know, disappoint me. But most of the fantasy I read is more young adult fantasy than okay. adult fantasy. Though I do like some adult fantasy. I'm just not an, a huge reader of, like, huge series like, you know, Jordan or Sanderson. Or, no, I, I, you know, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I feel like... What I don't like about, let's say, adult fantasy is that I feel like the author is really jaded and it's. I feel like all his readers are jaded. 
And so it's like he's talking to a just a it's like a jaded community, and a lot of the joy that comes that should come from fantasy is kind of drained out of it because it's like, oh yeah, we've seen all that before. And so there's like this desperation to do something really crazy and different. And oh, um, yeah. whereas with the young authors, it's like, oh, dragons, cool. Like unicorns, awesome. You know, the, there's, there's just this yeah. joy that comes from, from youth. And you can mm-hmm. see that on the covers, you know, where it's like, you look at the young adult fantasy <clears throat> novel and, you know, there's a guy riding a dragon and they look like they're having fun and having an adventure. And then you look at like an adult book and it's just like, you know, black and it's, you know, it's, it's so abstract. <laughs> and it's like, oh, we can't have fun. We're adults now. We have to be We're deadly. We're adults that we can't have fun. We yeah, have to be deadly exactly serious, right. you know, and have deadly yeah, serious, you know, conversation, you know, topics. And, and it's like, uh, why, you know? I don't know. Yeah, and that's, so, that's a great part of young adult literature. You, you're having fun while you're reading it. It should be an adventure. Um, you know, and certainly there are places where in young adult literature where things are not an adventure and some books are written to help you deal with issues. To be honest, I've, I've read so few young adult books that didn't include romance that it's it's actually kind of weird for me to no no it's it's a good yeah, it's no. a good component yeah. it makes sense too because i think you yeah. have young readers who like i have this theory about it's the harry potter to um 50 shades of gray i think yeah. you, i think you could make like a like a a graph or something cuz yeah. you have like i think what happened is you had a bunch of kids who grew up on harry potter and then when they were kind of like, like when they finished it and they wanted something new and different and more adult, they gra- they graduated to Twilight and then they read all those books. And then when they were like middle-aged women and they just, they didn't even want the fantasy, they just wanted the romance, then they read the Fifty Shades of Grey. I, I think that's what happened. Yeah, and I have a really weird view about people who read stuff like Twilight and, you know, some types of girls and stuff like that and it's 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 not it's just an observation that you know some of these women seem to be idealizing these relationships Mm -hmm. uh in these books like in twilight and these were not ideal relationships unlike poe and katza huh unlike poe and katza who were the perfect Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) they're not perfect but you know He's a nice guy, though. It's like, you know, do- like daughters date this guy. Got it. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good role model. Okay. They, they look at these relationships and they're dysfunctional, but they're dysfunctional because these women are putting all of their happiness and all of their expectations for happiness and sexual satisfaction. And it's not concurrent to how things work in real life. Mm-hmm. No, and sometimes I feel that women wait, wait, are wait, wait. Are you saying that women are not going to meet a lonely billionaire who's into S and M and he's going to take them on trips and stuff? That's, no, that's not I, to be no, expected. That's not, okay, that's not right. going to happen. Okay. No, that's not going to happen for them. But what I'm saying is that like they hinge on these fictional relationships so much that they ignore the actual relationships that are going on in their life and so they replace the men in their life with like you know edward or 
right. Jacob or something like that. Right. And they wistfully wished for a man that was like that. And, and I just, I always want to say like, man, you can probably have that relationship with somebody. And I hope you freaking cut this out because somebody's going to beat me for saying all this stuff. Because I think that they live too much in that fictional reality where men are perfect and constantly, you know, doing things for the women's consideration and opening her up to a whole new world. And it's like, no girl, you got to do that on your own before you can love another person to help you. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to open those doors on your own. You can't rely on a man to just, make you his everything because you got to be everything to yourself first and yeah I mean having a person who's willing to go along for the ride that you're willing to grow together with is you know doesn't hurt anybody's relationship whatsoever but they just to see 40 year old adult women their interest in these book characters are not age appropriate it Uh worries me Uh you know what I mean yeah (laughs) like Jacob is, Jacob is a teenager and a young teenager, 16 in one of the books, I think. And, you know, Edward is a 200 and something, 600, I don't know, masquerading as a high schooler. And it just, you know, it, it you know, bothers. you know, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like, um, the anime, uh, thing in reverse where like you have these clearly underage looking looking girls yes. in animes but but oh no but they're really goddesses or something and they're hundreds of years old right. and uh you know but they look like they're 12 you know and there's some yeah. guy drooling over them and it's like yeah. but they're like oh no but that's okay because she's not really a child I'm like i know but she looks like a child why are you why are you fantasizing about some a person that looks like a child like that's a problem right. So, yeah, uh, it just, it kind of yeah. worries me. That's my armchair psychologist today. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that. you know, it might just be a fantasy, you know, like, I don't know. like. Well, yeah, and of course, for many women, it is, you know. And, it's an escape, and like they're fun. bored of their lives. And yeah, they, they, and they, I mean, it's, yeah, as long as they're reading books, I'm not going to complain about it. back from a break uh we just discussed graceling by kristen cashore and uh now we are going to talk about one of my personally well my actual favorite author uh philip k dick and the man in the high castle yes Uh, that was a book i just read about a week ago and nick had read it quite a few years and of course the television show came out and I actually haven't finished that yet because I actually wanted to read the book first so and uh, I don't do that with all of Philip K. Dick's works but in this case I I definitely wanted to read the book first so (laughs) before I finished it so uh, I actually had a really hard time getting into this book The Man in the High Castle just it didn't catch me right off the bat. And to be honest, I just didn't like any of the characters in it, hmm. you know. Yeah. And for people who haven't read this book, uh, it is a science fiction 
dystopian book, which Philip K. Dick is, you know, known for, uh, and it is set in an alternate reality in 1962, I think, um, yeah. where the Germans, the Nazis have taken over America yeah. and the Japanese are yeah. also running, like they, they have the, war. the Germans. I'm sorry. I said they've won the war. Yeah, they won yeah. the war basically. So it's a it's a uh, I think it's a great concept. Um, the execution maybe could have been done better, but I think the as far as the the concept is concerned, that's a that, that's a great idea. You know, no, it I was really a great idea, and that, I do yeah. like those alternate um, reality, sure. you know, uh, World War Two stories. I mean, if you haven't seen it. Um, you know, Quentin Tarantino's uh, Inglorious Bastards mm -hmm. was so good. Yeah, I did see uh, that, yeah. Yeah, did you watch it? Yeah, I did see that, yeah. yeah. I loved that movie. It was so good. It was done so well. And uh, I, so I do like that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, but as far as this book went, um, I know it's considered to be one of his, you know, most classic uh, works, um, very popular so, so as a as a fan of Philip K. Dick, this this doesn't rank too high in in your list in your estimation. Not necessarily. Okay. I mean, I I like the concept. I like the story, and there's a lot of brilliant stuff going on mm. in it. I mean, the way yeah, he is yeah. telling a story, an alternate reality, and then he's got another subplot involving another alternate reality. Sure. Uh, and the way he tackles, you know, really how Japanese culture at the time was and how white Americans are being brought up in a Japanese-dominated Pacific right. coast. Uh, that, and even down to the way he structured some of the sentences in English is very much based on how Japanese sentences work and how they would be translated hmm. over into English. So I thought, wow, that's, you know, it just never ceases to amaze me how, you know, he's just got such a great grasp on the issues that he writes about. And, um, yeah, you know, it was really kind of, I, I think, I, I think I'm going to be, uh, beating a dead horse to the point that it's just, the horse will be just atoms, um, by the end of, you know, uh, a few more of these podcasts, but I'm always like thinking, okay, you know, this is another example of a story that I don't think would be published today. Uh, or if it would be published, it would have to come after an author has really established himself and can just do whatever he wants. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times, like I've said this, uh, that I think Philip K. Dick is maybe too brilliant for his own good. Yes. Mm -hmm. because a lot of times in this book I feel like he's just kind of thinking out loud it's not yes. even you know it's not even really like he forgot he's writing a story and he's like oh you know I'm really fascinated with antiques and so I'm just going to write about yeah. antiques for for a long time and you're thinking okay how is this really relevant to the plot and it's not super relevant I mean there's some tenuous connections there but but I, I feel like it's really just He's just exploring ideas, and I actually appreciate that. Like, I have, a, I have a very basic idea of what makes a good story, and it's just like, give me some interesting ideas. You know, give, give me some interesting yeah. thoughts. 
And so there was a lot of that, but it didn't always work to to push the plot along. If if there's a criticism there, you know, it, to be yeah. I do see the purpose for it because, I mean, honestly, that really is how, like, Japan treats American commercialism and American consumerism sure. and American objects. And, I mean, we obviously see that all over Japan in their cartoons and how they have been influenced by Disney and vice versa and so I kind of do understand that, um, but that character definitely kind of came from a place where it actually did seem like he was kind of writing himself into the story a little yeah, bit to make yeah. those observations. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, yeah, as you know, at the end of the book, this character goes through kind of a change, an existential change. Sure. Um, and for Philip K. Dick, that was, you know, also a theme that he explored, not quite as heavily in some books, but it was definitely persistent in that theme. And so they did kind of seem shuffled. I would, you know, bumping from one to the other, I was neither interested in either one as a complete story. Right. So together they were good, but if, if it had been just a story about the shopkeeper and the politics in that part of the country uh, during this alternate history, I think it would have been very boring. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting from like a historical, almost like a, like a philosophy of history or something, or, mm-hmm. or, or as a way of studying sort of like culture, because when you think, okay, we defeated the Nazis, well, what does that really mean? You know, and, and what it means right. is we preserved, like, what does it mean to fight for America? And that, what it means... Mm-hmm is we're fighting for our culture. We're fighting for our way of life. And mm-hmm. I think that that little, um, the way I interpret it is this little shopkeep where it had all these antiques and stuff. And it had stuff from like, you know, that the American Indians had. And it was almost yeah. like, okay, you know, the American Indians, they lived here first and they lost everything. Like their culture was wiped out. Their everything they knew was wiped yes. out. And now they're replaced by this new country. And in the same way, it was, I guess he was suggesting that now the Nazis are going to just take over America and we're just going to get used to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that what, what I really liked from the show, I don't think they, they did this as much in the book. Uh, in the show, my, my favorite character in the show is, uh, is an American uh, guy. I don't even know if he's in the book or if he's in the book, he's, he's very briefly in the book. It's an American soldier who basically surrendered to the Nazis and then he became a high-ranking Nazi official. And so mm-hmm. he has this family, and it's like this very cute sort of 1950s, you know, suburban family. And it's like very Brady Bunch kind of thing. Uh-huh. And, and it just looks like your, your perfect idealized American family, but he wears a swastika, you know. And he goes uh-huh. outside and he sees his neighbor and he says, Hi, you know, how Hitler, Bob? And Bob, you know, Bob's like, hey, how Hitler, Jack, whatever. And it's just like so... You know, it's it just they've just sort of accepted. Okay, this is their reality now, and I love yeah. that. I love that idea that, you know, like they say, like history is written by the victors. You know, so mm-hmm. it does make me wonder: could could we have sort of accepted that the Nazi culture or the German culture is just normal? You know, if they had won, would would we all just be speaking German? 
and not really be thinking much about all the atrocities uh, you know that they did in the same way that we often sort of neglect slavery in this country we, we uh, neglect the way the American Indians were massacred, we might have done the same with the Jews and said, oh, well, that was something we did. Uh But, you know, hey, you know, we we had to do it. It was a long time ago, you know, and we would just kind of gloss over that, over that that awful history. I found that was interesting. I almost feel like the ideas uh, in the book were better than the maybe the story in the book, you know? Yeah, I, I certainly think that's the case. Um, and I have read a wide variety of Philip K. Dick books. So I, I think I'm like 25 deep. Wow. Now. Okay. So you're um, yeah. an expert in, I, in this. Well, thing. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I, I, I do have a good taste for what he's doing. And sometimes I don't know what he's doing and I have to consult smarter people. <laughs> and I do have a couple of books you know, about him and his life that I haven't picked up and read yet. Um, but uh, I, I, I've definitely read better books by him. Yeah. Um, so, and among them, our friends, our friends from Frolics 8 was really good. Um, Game Players of Titan was pretty good. Uh, but as far as Man the High Castle goes, yeah, I just, I think you're right. I think it's more the ideas that he presented um, and it's the way he put these ideas together and made them all work because when you're reading the text, there's just this undercurrent of, you know, you know that the Japanese people are superior to mm-hmm. white people right. and they have made white people conform to their standards sure, and sure. their yeah ways of doing things. And, um, and and you and you almost kind of wonder is that necessarily a bad thing like, like like you know like like would it have been so bad if we were invaded by a culture that had something to offer us that was you know you know it's almost blasphemy to think about that but but you, you do kind of wonder um now i think the nazis on the other hand there's a part in the book where I think my favorite part of the book is, is, and it wasn't even so much a story, but it was kind of a thought process where he says the, the whole Nazi, the whole Nazi philosophy is uh, the superior race has uh-huh. to dominate. And, but if you kind of follow that, that theory to its, its ultimate conclusion, what's going to end up happening is it's just going to be genocide after genocide after, gen, after genocide until everyone is, you know, everyone's dead and, you know, right. it's, it's just going to yeah. be like the destruction of the world. It's like, if we can't learn to sort of coexist, if it's, if it's just going to be like, you know, might makes right. And that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's a dangerous philosophy. It's so, very yeah. dangerous. With the Japanese, I felt they were more like integrating with, with Americans. Whereas the Nazis were like, we're just going to make you Nazis, you know, we're going to make you German, you know? Yeah. We're not going to give you a choice. And they, didn't, yeah, they so. didn't, they had no respect for, you know, for, uh, any culture other than their culture, you know, than their, uh, culture, their ideas. Yeah. And, um, so I, I, I th- by the way, in my, uh, blog, I have a series of book reviews that I did. Um, and I did this around the, uh, Trump, uh, era, and if we lose any Trump supporters uh, li- that might be listening, uh, I just want to say I don't care. Okay, just you can stop <laughs> listening now. 
Yeah. I have no sympathy for you. I'm sorry, but uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, but I did. But I did write a, I did read a series of books, and I and I I put them in a heading called "It Could Happen Here." And that was that was one of the books that I I put in that you know. Oh, by Sinclair Lewis. No, no, that was just the name of my reviews. I should oh, probably that's the yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, because because there's a, a lot of books like this. Um, another uh, book is called The Plot Against America, which has a similar um, uh, premise to this one, and you might want to read that if you're interested in this premise. And it's where um, instead of the Nazis taking over. Or winning the war, what happens is um, the author, who is Jewish, he does something really interesting. He writes his own life story as if history had been different, which is really uh, I, th- I, th- I think the the name is Philip Roth, and oh, okay. uh, I know yeah. yeah, and he's really great, and he's a Jewish author, and he writes about his childhood, but he writes like an alternate version of his childhood. And in this version, um, Charles Lindbergh, who is, you know, the, the man, he was the first man to cross the Atlantic Ocean um, uh-huh. in a plane. Uh, he was like this huge American celebrity, but he was also a Nazi sympathizer in real life. Uh-huh. And so what he kind of theorizes is if Lindbergh had run for president, and this is right around the time of when World War II got started, then just because of his popularity um, of being this pilot, that he would have possibly beaten Roosevelt and he would have been president. And because he's a Nazi sympathizer, instead of the Nazis kind of um, defeating us, we sort of become allies with the Nazis because of Lindbergh. And it's so, when you read it, there's so many similarities to what to went on with Trump and uh, that I had to keep going back to the book and being like, wait a minute, when was this book written? You know, like I had to keep having to check the date because I could not believe that yeah. everything that was happening wasn't ripped off of the pages of the of the newspaper. What was going on? Sure, now that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it uh, it's a good book, but it has that same premise, which I think is a really great premise. What if the Nazis had won the war? What if we had joined the Nazis? You know. Oh, um, yeah. I, I really like that idea. Philip K. Dick in his uh, repertoire has just, he's got quite a few books that you read it and you just have chills. And uh, sure. I know Flow My Tears, the policeman said, <laughs> dealt with uh, examples of climate change. And oh, his more person, future yeah. was not that very far sure. off from us sure. in that particular sure. book. And um, he was definitely talking about you know, 116 degrees Celsius on the right. Fahrenheit. I'm sorry, not Celsius. Fahrenheit, yeah, which is happening, actually. Which is, it's happening. Yeah, which is yeah. actually happening yeah. and how these people cannot survive right. outside for longer uh, than, like, two minutes. And they have timers and they have to figure oh out how goodness. long they've been outside or in their suit and how long they have to get to their... It's like Florida, you know, actually. It's it's like where yeah. I live. It's like we go outside and we're like, oh, man, I'm going to die. I'm going to go back in. Oh yeah, that's how it is out here. It's so hot and humid. Like oh, you're it? literally breathing. Oh, where, where you are too? It's really it's really hot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, and you know he's just written so many things, and lately I, I, th- I, I think 
I, I Every think, time I read some of his yeah. things, I think, my God, Philip Kejic is just spinning in his grave right now. He sure. seriously is. Like, <laughs> but this, this is what I think really great, and I think we've kind of sadly we've I think we've moved away from this, but I think that's what the best authors do and did, which is they they kind of um, they kind of put up a mirror to society and they say, okay, here are the problems that we're going to have to deal with. You know, he, he, here are the issues. Here's what's coming, and we should be worried about this. This right. is what the best authors do. And um, and again, I'm going to get on my hobby horse. Uh, I have to apologize. But <laughs> I remember reading a uh, reading a, an agent, an agent uh, who had a blog. And she said she, she wrote this uh, this uh, post called how to how to scare off your uh, potential agent. And one of them, <laughs> one of the examples is be crazy. Okay, be crazy. And under be crazy, it says suggesting that you can save the world. Um, and I felt that was so cynical and so, like, it depressed me because yeah, that was, you know, and of course, I don't think I can change the world, but I think that in a small way, I think everybody can change the world. We're all like little straws on the camel's back, so to speak. Yeah, so I yeah. don't think that I'm, I alone am going to change the world, but I think my, perhaps my writing and the writing of a hundred thousand other people are going to make these very subtle changes that's going to influence or shape the way people think and shape the way people vote and shape the way culture works. That has always been the traditional role of a great author like Philip K. Dick. Yeah. But... The problem is that nowadays, you know, I've actually seen publishers say, don't philosophize. You know, we, that we don't want that. Would you just tell a story where it's just like, you know, all that matters is what's in the story. And we can't, you know, we can't really extrapolate that and, and, and yeah, you know, use really that to look reductive. at life. It's reductive and it's restrictive. Yeah. And, and it bums, like and it bums, and it bums me out. Like, how many options for a story does that really give you? I mean, I guess it depends on the genre you're writing in. And, of course, you're writing in fantasy where, you know, we want good to triumph over evil, you know, like 99% of the time. I mean, sometimes I want the villain to win, but that's just because I have a villain fetish. But, <laughs> you know, like 99% of the time. Oh, like, Magne you know, like Magneto? I, I love Magneto. I, I always want uh, Magneto yeah, to win. Yeah, he's probably my favorite um one of my favorite mutants. I've yeah. got several, but I, I, he's definitely... Yeah. I just just I, in, in terms of villains winning, I'm like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I he, mean, he's great. I, when I was a kid, I liked Charles Xavier more. Okay, you know, okay. Professor Xavier yeah. Yeah, he's more, good but too. then yeah. I kind of grew up and, <laughs> you know, so I kind of went over to Magneto's side a little bit too. I kind of sympathized with the things they were going through. And in, in Magneto's case, it was just like he knew that you got to break a few bones, you know, or right. break a few shells to make some omelets. Right. And, you know, I, and as much as I am a pacifist, you know, and I think I'm, well, I think pacifist is the wrong word, but as a realist and I don't like violence and I don't consider sure. myself a violent person. Um, but, you know, in the long run, realistically, you know, we can't enforce change without violence and that's not a call for violence. And I think a lot of people will mistake that as a call for violence, yeah, but yeah. it's a, it's you know, a fine and, line. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's the scary thing about the situation and, and the reality. Yeah. So, you know. But, okay. but, but I, I definitely think that fantasy and science fiction should, not only will, will I say that it can, but I think it should uh, reflect uh, real world events. And I, and I always try to, to do that, uh, you know, in my writing as well, um, just uh, to toot my own horn here for a second. Uh, when I was writing um, The Princess of Anya, yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, well, well, when I, well, you know what? Okay, so, and again, we're going to lose Trump supporters, but it's fine, I don't care. If your Trump supporter is still listening, you, you don't need to listen anymore, I don't care. Um, when I was writing The Princess of Anya, um, you know, this was, I started writing the book before Trump, before Trump got elected. And so my understanding of like the way tyrants work, like Hitler, is that they operate through fear, right? So everyone is afraid to say, well, I don't really agree with Hitler or Stalin or whatever, Mao, you know, because you're going to get killed. You're going to get sent to the gulag or whatever. That was strictly my understanding. So when I started writing the book, I really didn't have anybody who really agreed with the villain. It was, it was more that they were just afraid of the villain. But then when Trump got elected, I could not believe how many people admired everything that Trump was saying and doing. It was, it was yeah. kind of a shock to me. I was like, what is going on? It was and mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing. And it, it actually reminded me of, uh, of uh, Harry Potter with Voldemort. You know, when, yes. Vol- when Voldemort comes into power, all of a sudden there's all these Death Eaters who just come out of nowhere. You know, where, all these, where are all these Death Eaters hiding and they were just the regular people they're like the parents of the kids that went to school they were death eaters but they just kind of kept it hush hush and kind of kept it to themselves but as soon as someone comes into power who represents their view suddenly they feel comfortable to come out and say oh yeah i'm a death eater just like all these people that are secretly nazis who don't really like to express that they're nazis when they see one of their own as president they get the confidence to say, hey, I, I'm a Nazi now. I'm going to go in the street and wave my Nazi flag, you know, or my oh, Confederate yeah, flag or whatever, you know. Yeah, they're definitely emboldened. And it just emboldened, yeah. is a little crazy because, you know, over in Germany, that stuff is illegal. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that is a big no. Yeah, it's not even protected just... by because they don't have no. uh, freedom of speech over there. So, that, yeah, you can't yeah. even do that. Yeah, so yeah, and yeah, so, I mean, it, and Germany had to deal with Hitler as a direct influence for <laughs> you know about a decade before. Yeah, uh, so so it it changed the way I thought about tyrants. So when I so when I was editing my book, I said, you know, I gotta have a chapter in there where some people naturally agree with the villain you know and so mm-hmm. i so i added this chapter which me and my editor called the trump chapter even though we didn't tell anybody we kept this hush hush <laughs> we called it the trump chapter and it's basically how uh, we just mentioned how one of the characters before zabos comes into power he likes zabos and he likes what zabos is saying he believes he genuinely believes in zabos because Somebody had to genuinely believe in what Hitler was talking about before Hitler came into power. People had to put him into power. He wasn't just going to assume power. People had to put him there. And I realized kind of like, oh, yeah, I have to take that into consideration. And then, 
then you get to that point where the tyrants are being tyrannical. And then there's like, okay, maybe now if you disagree with him, it's too late because he'll send you to prison, you know, or kill you or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I mean, obviously, a lot of people have had broken relationships because their friends have suddenly popped up and felt emboldened by, you know, Trump and they you know, <laughs> got involved in it. And uh, it amazes me that they cannot see the correlation between their actions. And I've just, there have been so many people misusing, you know, George Orwell. Oh my on God. The right. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand this. Like it, it's like, I understand that sometimes the situation does kind of go both ways between, you know, the two sides. Um, but it, you know, I feel like I've just read too much. I've just read too much Philip K. Dick. And I, I do read a lot of, you know, literature about World War II. And, um, yeah, I, 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 by the way, 1984 is, is for me, four star, four star book. That's what I need for uh, four stars. I need a book that's really going to make me think about life and, and maybe even change the way I see things, you know. That too, oh, yeah. you know. It was a really good book. Yeah, I, excellent. I, I read excellent. that a couple of times, actually. Yeah. So I and just recently finished Animal Farm, too, and that was... Yeah. And, and really I actually good. can... I can see how right-wingers can kind of look at that book like they can look at 1984 and say, this supports our view because the, the whole right-wing... Uh, philosophy is we're against big government right like that's their thing no, we're opposed to big I government definitely that's yeah, what that's what they say understand it. those it's are nice. the those are the words they they use yeah you know? the problem though is that what i would say to them is is trump small government and i would say no so no. all this thing they're saying about big government is bad yeah i agree you we don't want to live in a police state but when you have a guy who is supposedly representing small government telling the military to go shoot protesters how is that small government that's not small government that's big government so right. to me it boggles the mind that their whole argument is well you know, we're against big government but at the same time other abuses of big government they don't see it that way that mm -hmm. that, that always just confused me you know yeah like, you see the abuses is justified because yeah of the other, of the threat of the other, yeah. the really very non-existent threat of the other. They've been told to be afraid of other people. Right. And that people like us are threatening their way of life. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like, I don't want your guns. I don't sure. care if you worship God. It's not my business. I don't care who you love. Right. As long as you're an adult and you're consenting and your sound mind and body, then I think that you should be allowed to do what you want within reason. And yeah. um, it's when you come over and you start enforcing those things or making things up like, oh, we're after your guns. And it's just like, no, I don't, I don't want your guns. I just want people to be reasonable. There's right. no reason why right. you need 10 guns sure. in a gun cabinet. Sure, yeah. You know, or, or you know, it just... Like, that's not necessary. Yeah, and, and then uh, what they do is they'll cry. You know, it's funny. I actually had um, my daughter, my 10-year-old my daughter, comes from uh, school. I pick her up from school one day, and she goes, 
oh, uh, some kids in class were calling me a communist. And I'm like, what? They're calling you a communist? Yeah. And I'm like, why? And it's just because she told people that she voted for Joe Biden. And so, and I'm like, okay, so she votes for Joe Biden or she wanted to vote for Joe Biden. And, you know, and of course, this is all like kids being brainwashed by their parents. And, yeah. um, and I just told her, I said, listen, I said, unless the government is going to come and take your house and take your business and own your business and own your yeah. property, we are not, you know, if Joe Biden tomorrow says, okay, we're going to own your house now. Then yeah, then that, I would be opposed to that. That would be communism. But yeah, unless they do that, exactly. That's not. Com- and I think that because um, you brought up Animal Farm, and I did. I read that recently, and I think that's like again. I, I think a lot of the the right wingers point to that as being like, oh, this is the anti communist book. And I do think it's an anti communist book. But what I think is really interesting about that is that the end. Spoiler: If you haven't. Right, animal farm. Um, yeah. If you at the end of the book, what what the what the, the the animals discover is that they've traded the humans for the pigs, and the yes. pigs literally become the humans. The pigs they, they dress up in human clothes and they start talking like humans and eating like humans, yes. and that's ex- that was the whole point. I think what I try to argue with people about when I t- argue with right wing people is that I say it's the political spectrum is a circle. You know, if you, yeah. the, the people that took over Russia, okay, they were trying to take the, the, the money and the power away from the czar who had all the money and the power. But then the government had all the money and the power. I mean, the, the, the point is whether you are a radical, whether you're a radical uh, Democrat or leftist or radical right winger, we don't want all the money and all the power in the hands of a few people. So right. if Jeff Bezos has all the money or the government has all the money, that's both are bad. And I think that yes. to me was the message of Animal Farm. To me, that's how I saw it. It was like, oh, we're going to take the power away from the humans and give it to the pigs. But it's the same. You're giving all the power to one group yeah. and that's bad. It doesn't matter who it is. That thinks they're superior for whatever For reason. whatever reason, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's, so um, I think that's true. And yeah, I just I think a lot of people look at communism, like different modes of political thought and political philosophies as like a, a one shot you're a communist. And they don't think, well, maybe there are some positive things about communism that we want to integrate into our society or there are some good aspects about socialism that we want sure, to add into sure. our society. Yeah, yeah. But they don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing exactly, some, yeah. you know, game. Uh, you know, we can make things better and, you know, not necessarily fall into this trap. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 yeah. the it's called it's the either or fallacy. You know, either yeah. we're going to become communist Russia, or we're going to be you know whatever free loving capitalist uh, you know whatever. Yeah. And, and it's like no, like like there it's possible to not be communist Russia and still make sure that people don't die because they can't afford their their medicines. You yeah, know, like we can do yeah. we can do that. You know. But anyway, well, I think we left the uh, book way behind. We did. <laughs> but <laughs> we did. But but yeah. but I want I wanted to talk about spoiler territory about the end of the book. So do do you want to um, 
address the the way the book ended at all? <laughs> yeah, there was the thing about Philip K. Dick is he's you know that he's going to twist things up on you. Yeah. And so while you're looking at the grand overarching wondrous scheme of things that are going on in his books, like there are like maybe six words in the whole book that are the Mickey <laughs> that let you know that things here are not what they seem. The alternate history presented in The Man in the High Castle is mirrored by an alternate history in another book that everybody is reading um, called The Grasshopper Life sure, Heavy. Sure. And uh, this book is a play on that where what if we had defeated the Nazis? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, what if we... Yeah, I like and, that. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and, and that's where I think when you say like he writes science fiction, I, I think he does. But I think in this book, he kind of dipped into like surrealist territory. Like I don't even... I don't even know if I would call this book fantasy or science fiction i i think there's a uh, a weird niche what i like to call surrealist fiction like i think um yeah. alice in wonderland you know i, I think that's you know uh-huh. surrealist and so i think there's this bizarre twist ending where it's like i'm not even sure exactly what happened or what what it's, it's like she she meets the man in the high castle and then she discovers oh actually we did beat the nazis and and you're like, what? Like, what happened? And it's just so bizarre. And so, I don't know uh, what the significance of that is. Well, I was a little confused by that. Maybe you have an yeah. idea. When she goes to a, the author of The Grasshopper Lies Heavy, she want, they want to talk to this guy. Right. Um, and during this whole time, Germany is trying to sneak people in sure. uh, to these. Because where this author lives is in the middle free territories right. of the United States. Right. And uh, they're not in the Pacific and in the German-run states of the Northwest. They're not allowed to get this material, but it's a little bit more acceptable in Japanese culture because they find the book very interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And nothing much more than that. They're not alarmed by it. They're like, oh, ha-ha, the silly Americans think they could have won. And so they're sending assassins in to kill this poor author. And then finally, he's just like, you know what? I can't live my life in fear anymore. The book is out. It's too late. And I mean, I think it was a very good uh, example of, you know, other books that have had messages that have been banned um, that people pass around. Uh, and but then he assumes towards something. And that's when she realizes that. Germany did not win the war. Right. Because they're but, not receiving communication. But what does that mean? You know, like, like the yeah. show, I don't know, like, if you've seen the show, but... The, yeah, I haven't finished it yet. Well, they they sort of interpret that, that it's kind of like uh, they're jumping between, like, parallel worlds or something. But I'm not sure that's what the author intended. You well, know? it's... Philip K. Dick, that's very possible. And, you know, because he is, he does write some very surreal fiction. I mean, he was, he was mentally ill. He had a lot of various issues. He abused hard drugs his entire life. Um, Which is the only way to be a great author, though. I don't know about that man he was really something else. I'm just kidding. But I mean, and I'm, you know, I started a scanner darkly and 
it's semi-autobiographical, you know, uh, his experience with some of sure. his drug abuse and sure. the mental uh, issues he suffered as a result and right. suffered prior to doing drugs. Right, um, right. A lot of people do drugs to relieve their symptoms, but uh, so, and he was very much a fan of, you know, altering your state of consciousness because he thought that everything, you know, your brain reflects reality. There is actually nothing here. Like my fridge is not a fridge. The coffee maker didn't make coffee. My cat's not like, we're not talking to each other. Uh, Right. I, I, I kind of feel that was more like it was less science fiction, like, oh, she happened to step through a, you know, a doorway into another reality. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it was less that and more what you're saying, which is more, it's more of like a psychedelic thing where it's like, no, like actually reality isn't what you thought, you know, reality, and, yeah, I, and I like that. Like I, and it's, yeah. I think it's something that would be like maybe impossible to put into a show. Because I think the the viewers would be like, "What? What is this? This doesn't make sense." But but I think for right. a for a book, I think it works. I, I think that that angle works. That sort of yeah, it was really good. And drug I mean, even trip. Alice in Wonderland works under the same premise. And I mean, a lot of things that you hear about Lewis Carroll are definitely true in the construction of Alice in Wonderland. But he was also a migraine sufferer. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that. To, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, I, I, I just it, think you can't try to make sense of it. I, I think trying to yeah. make sense of Alice in Wonderland I think kind of defeats the purpose yeah, of the book. Yeah, I, I think I think to. my only interpretation is that interpretations themselves are sort of pointless. You know what I'm saying? It just kind of just yeah. accepts the experience of, of Alice's journey without trying to be like, well, wait a minute, where did this come from? Like, you know... And it's a different way. Oh, yeah. It's a di- it's a different. You know, it it's not a popular thing in fiction, but I, but it's you know. I, oh yeah, and I mean, we don't typically think of you know altered brain states. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. we alter through brain states all day long. You know, neurotransmitters right, right. run through. You feel emotions, and you know. It, so, uh, as far as that goes, you know, I mean, when you're going through any sort of a mental illness process like schizophrenia or autism or, you know, if you have headache disorders like migraines, um, you know, your brain is altering your reality, you know. I mean, you're hallucinating things, you're seeing things, sure. uh, you know, and those are all those electrical currents in your brain just freaking out and the chemicals are dumping out and it's, you know, it's like a free trip on LSD for no money and I've never done LSD and I don't plan on it but it's just yeah so I and people don't really consider that we have these altered um brain states and we're not really conscious of them but Philip K. Dick was very conscious of it and so he dabbled accordingly and uh, it, it, it did ruin his life and several relationships that he had. And, but he produced such an enormous and influential body of work. Uh, so maybe that, it was, it was all know. worth it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, the, the book was technically good. You yeah. know, his writing is always very, you know. So, um, so how many, so how many uh, what, what would you rate this book? 
you know what? I think I actually ended up giving it four stars. Oh, okay. Uh, I just I didn't knock it for the story or the characters. So, really. so I, four stars is the high was... the highest. Is that your highest rating, or you just? No, my highest rating is five. Okay, stars. okay. And okay. I have given some Philip K. Dick books five okay, stars okay, before, okay. but this definitely was not one of them. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but it, I would recommend it to other people though just because i as you said it is and it is interesting yeah. um and certainly these are questions uh that we should think about yeah exactly um, yeah i i gave it uh, three stars but my highest rating is four and so i think okay. uh yeah so i think i definitely liked it uh about the same as you liked it i think and the, the show is good the show has an interesting it's do it, it does something that's kind of interesting that I see a, f- a couple of shows have done where they will take a shorter book that doesn't have any sequels and they'll make the first season that book. So the first season of Man in the High Castle is the book. And then all the seasons after, it's just the writers kind of making it up. And uh, they yeah. did the same thing with The Handmaid's Tale. Like the first season of The Handmaid's Tale is the book The Handmaid's Tale. And yeah. then every season after that is just, you know... And I have to say, I wasn't really crazy about how the show ended. Uh, it's it's not bad, but it's not the best. Um, um, uh, Handmaid's Tale or the no, Man the Manhattan Castle. Handmaid's Tale okay. still surprisingly really good. So okay, uh, yeah, because I couldn't watch Handmaid's Tale if it was the first season. Um, <laughs> I mean, I that's the, that's the whole book, but yeah, and later yeah. on, but. It gets good though. I don't know. Maybe we can have a, a whole episode about that. So, but I think the way the man in the high castle ended, I thought it was it was it should have been. That's how it should have ended. And yeah, I I agree. Know. I mean, I think if you're not going to do something that improves the story, uh, then you shouldn't continue. You know. Yeah. Uh, whereas yeah. the handmaid's still, I actually think it kind of gets better. So so maybe I think the should I think the handmaid's still is a more justified. Yeah, I think they pulled from the testaments for the rest of, not 100%, but a lot of it, I know, because uh, the story doesn't really deal with off-road at all uh, in um, the testaments. But I know that from things I hear, you know, that they did take some of the ideas from the testaments. And the testaments was really good. I mean, it was a very good follow-up to the handmaid's tale. I will have to, yeah, I'll have to uh, put that on my list. Next book, I'm reading um, uh, a book called A Wish in the Dark that was uh, in my daughter's reading list for school. And yeah. uh, there was a whole bunch of books she had to read. And we went to Barnes & Noble and we just read the first chapter of all her reading list books. And that first chapter for A Wish in the Dark was really good. And I said, Sophia, I really think you should read this one. And uh, and she kind of made, you know, I'm always trying to encourage kids to read. So. Yeah. So one of the ways I do that is she goes, well, you, will you read it with me? I'm like, okay. So, but I don't regret it because it's good. So the oh, next, that's uh, good. Yeah. yeah. So the next uh, podcast is going to be uh, a wish in the dark with a guest uh, guest reviewer, eleven year old uh, reviewer. So oh, that's gonna be fun. Uh, so we can look forward to that. Yeah, I look forward to that. We'll see our listeners. Hopefully, we'll you know uh, come in for a wish in the dark. Yeah, I hope so. Okay. Okay. okay, thank thank you everyone. <laughs> All right, thanks.